It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis. And I'm Sky David. The moment you've all been waiting for, the long legislative session has come to a close. Has it really, though? Kind of. <laughs> yeah. So they did adjourn on Monday night, Monday afternoon. Night, it was like seven-ish. Yeah, around dinner time. (laughs) You call things afternoon that I would not like. That's an hour before I go to bed. It's evening. (laughs) Yeah, okay, fair point, fair point. But they did make some announcements on the House floor. The speaker kind of gave what the plan was because they adjourned, yes, the long session, but scheduled to come back December 30th, and then he said something about January 3rd. If they did come back around January 3rd, they could take up things like veto overrides, anything to do with redistricting, and conference reports as well. So it has very little to do with, you know, keeping the session going as far as hearing bills in committee. They want to be able to respond to the courts. We talked about this last week. They don't want to depend on the governor or the Democrats to to help bring them back. They want to just be able to come back. But in the meantime, we've got a lot of skeleton sessions, right? So we're going to keep doing skeleton sessions for a little while. Until December 10th. And that is just a move to make sure that the governor has to act within 10 days. If they're adjourned, he has that 30-day period. But if they are technically in session, he has to act on a bill within 10 days. On Monday afternoon, I had an appointment in Winston-Salem with a client, and when I got back to the General Assembly, Brian was so excited to tell me about House Rules. House Rules was lit, and a bill, I believe it was Senate Bill 473, a bill by Senator Lisa Barnes, Republican down in Nash County, introduced legislation that Democratic auditor Beth Wood wanted enacted. And basically, it stemmed from some audits she had performed in Rocky Mount. I'm not going to get into the details. All I'll say is that that audit was very damning of Rocky Mount city officials. There appears to be some malfeasance. There appears to be some unethical behavior. However, the auditor said that really there's no laws regulating some of the decisions and actions they took, and she wanted this legislation. Well, Democratic Representative Shelley Willingham, who represents that area, and by the way, is a Democrat, he spoke out against the bill as Senator Barnes was presenting it and said that this bill was aimed politically at these council members and these municipal leaders in Rocky Mount. He said it was unfair. There were even some implications that had been made outside of the committee by the NAACP that it was racist because these policymakers are black. And this debate is going on in committee and auditor Beth Wood is in committee, and she stands up and asks to be recognized, and she looked right at Representative Shelley Willingham and said, I am here to clear up some misinformation, and went into a list of malfeasance that she found, 
said that she had a letter from the local district attorney saying that this was problematic. And it was one of those rare occasions where you have a statewide officer like the auditor stand up and really in a combative way siding with a Republican senator and in a very confrontational debate with someone of her own party. In fact, Representative Willingham seemed to accuse Auditor Wood of abusing her power, said that she had ran in 2020 and had visited Rocky Mount and had said she was asking voters to support her in the election and that she pointed to some of the malfeasance she had found in Rocky Mount. And then the auditor came back with, well, the reason I visited Rocky Mount, Representative Willingham, is because I had people calling me a racist. I had people saying that I was doing my job for political reasons. It was just a very tense, long debate. I think the exchange between Representative Willingham and Auditor Wood went for about 20, 25 minutes. And it got to the point where Representative Brendan Jones, Republican, who's been on the podcast, he objected, asked Chairman Hall to gavel down Representative Willingham because he was making some pretty harsh allegations against the auditor. Did that bill pass or? It did pass. The vote was somewhat along party lines. I heard three Democrats voted against it. What's going to be interesting does Governor Cooper veto that? Veto this bill because of the NAACP and the Democrats in the General Assembly. I think forty-four voted against the bill when it got to the House floor, which is also going to put him on the opposite side of his state auditor, who is a constitutionally elected official, also a Democrat, who is very high profile in asking for this. So again, he has three options. He could sign it, he could veto it, he could just let it become law. I think that debate is probably happening right now within the governor's mansion about what does he do. There was another bill that passed on Monday night, and it did not have veto-proof majorities in either chamber, and I believe it had to do with natural gas? It did. Senator Paul Newton, who's been on the podcast, this is his legislation. Uh, He is very much an energy expert at the General Assembly. The bill stops local governments from banning the use of natural gas or the exploration of natural gas. Now, Senator Newton's argument is that we're a Dillon Rule state, so we have some uniformity. The powers... What what is a Dillon Rule state? The powers of the local government come from the state government. So kind of think of state government as the parents and the local government as the children. I know my local government folks won't like that metaphor, but essentially you get your powers from the state. And so when you have one city banning something or enacting something and it's contrary to another area of the state... The state generally likes uniformity in some of these statewide policy debates. And so what Senator Newton said is, we're just saying that energy policy will be made from the state level. This bill did pass. It had some bipartisanship on both sides of the vote. It does not have, as you pointed out, 
a super majority. And I could see this coming down to a veto showdown as well. So as session came to a close on Monday night, Representative Susan Fisher stood up and announced that she would be retiring. She has been there for 18 years, so quite a long time, very beloved, and she is from the Asheville area. So she announced that on the House floor to a lot of kind words about her. I think the speaker put out a press release Mm And then minutes after they... But but before you get to that, it wasn't just a, I'm not running for re-election. She's, her resignation is effective December 31st. Right. Yeah. So we'll see a replacement of Representative Fisher in the new year. That's true. Minutes after the House session adjourned, Representative Brian Turner sent out his release saying he would not be running in 2022. So that's two bunkum folks who are not running. Continuing on our bunkum route. Yeah. On Tuesday morning, one of the worst kept secrets, Senator Chuck Edwards announced he was running for Congress. He represents Henderson County and then a few precincts in Buncombe County. And he put his hat in the ring to run for the congressional seat that's currently held by Congressman Madison Cawthorn. We all know that Congressman Cawthorn is moving south, at least is going to the district just below him, the one that was, we thought that Speaker Tim Moore was going to run in. Speaking of just Western North Carolina, we are still on watch to see who is going to run for the North Carolina Senate in that combined seat of Senator Deanna Ballard from Watauga County and Senator Ralph Heiss. I talked to Senator Heiss on Monday, and he said that he still doesn't know what he is going to do. I think all eyes really are on Senator Ballard and what she's going to do, and I think decisions will be made after that. We also heard this week that North Carolina Health and Human Services Secretary Mandy Cohen is also leaving at the end of the year. Secretary Cohen has been a very prominent part of the Roy Cooper administration. She has taken us through the pandemic for the most part. I know it's still going on, but she's taken us through that. It was really nice to see the bipartisan outpouring of appreciation that was expressed by political leaders at the General Assembly. Senator Phil Berger put out a statement that was complimentary of Secretary Cohen, and she announced this on Tuesday, and the governor also announced that he would be nominating Cody Kensley to replace her. And of course, that has to go through the Senate confirmation process. But if he is appointed, he will be the first openly gay secretary in the state's history. Yeah. You know, about Secretary Cohen, I think when she was first nominated, many of us thought that she was going to be the lightning rod, a Washington, D.C. insider, worked for President Obama, Obama, helped him expand Medicaid, and was there as one of the architects of Obamacare. Yeah. And then, of course, we all know that HHS, just as a department, has always just had a rocky relationship with the General Assembly going back decades. But wow, what 
a secretary, she has been, she's beloved by the General Assembly. That is true. I remember when she first came in and started having meetings with legislators and they went into those meetings thinking that they were going to hate her and came out saying, I like her. Really shows that, you know, you can bring your partisanship or maybe your political ideology to a job, but, you know, you can find common ground and just really knock out some good work. So congratulations to Secretary Cohen. So we had a moment this week that really wasn't our best moment at the General Assembly. I wouldn't say we were necessarily doing politics better. Monday night. On the Senate floor, Senator Julie Mayfield, also from Buncombe County. This is really a Buncombe County podcast. (laughs) She made some remarks and didn't call out Lieutenant Governor Robinson specifically, but it was very obvious she was talking about his comments in the LGBTQ community. Mm -hmm. So senators, just like representatives, can be called on. It usually happens at the end of business, and they are given an allotted time to speak about really anything they want to speak about. And Senator Mayfield took the opportunity to make this speech. Then later that evening, we were done with session, And a video pops up on Twitter that had been taken by Senator Natasha Marcus from Charlotte. She is a Democrat down there in which she filmed an exchange. It really wasn't an exchange. It was Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson just outside the Senate chamber. And he appeared to be very upset. At least his voice sounded as if it was very loud. And he said, you know where to find me. And before you ever speak on that Senate floor again, you need to come to me first. And I'm paraphrasing here. I don't know if I'm capturing everything. You can see the video on Senator Marcus's Twitter. And Senator Mayfield didn't appear to be saying anything. Of course, this was about a 15-second clip, so we don't know what was said before this exchange. But Lieutenant Governor Robinson then marches off as Senator Marcus is asking him, why does she need to get permission to speak? This was a viral video by uh, most standards. It had been shared so many times, it had been liked, and it has been covered in the media But again, the lieutenant governor finds himself embroiled in this ongoing controversy about his remarks stemming back from the summer in which he said some very unsavory things about the LGBTQ community. As someone who works with a person who has so much energy, (laughs) it just kind of bleeds into me as well. Sitting down with Representative John Bradford was also that same energy. He's so high energy. He really seems efficient. I know we said that about Representative Moffitt, but just scheduled everything in his life and is running at full speed at all times. The Do Politics Better podcast is supported by the North Carolina Travel Industry Association. Founded in 1955, NCTIA has a distinguished history of partnering with the North Carolina General Assembly to strengthen and preserve tourism in North Carolina. 
Visit nctia.travel for more information on how you can support your local tourism destination and the thousands of North Carolina jobs it creates. Representative John Bradford, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Kick us off and just tell us about your district. Where is it? What makes it special to you? So I represent District 98, which is northern Mecklenburg County. Uh, So the townships would be Davidson, Cornelius, and Huntersville. Uh, It's special to me because, I mean, I've raised my family there. I've started two businesses there. It's a lake. uh, You know, the district's on the lake, Lake Norman, which is one of the few bodies of water we have here in North Carolina. And so it's a real special place. I used to serve on town council. I was a commissioner, so I was on the Chamber of Commerce board. So I've done a lot in our community. So it's a real honor to represent you know, our folks here at the state level. You post a lot about your businesses. I find them very interesting. Can you talk a little bit about And one has to do with pets, pets right? Dogs, right. yeah. Everyone loves pets, right? Yeah. And you're a dog lover. You I can a, really tell. You're, you know, I'm an animal lover. I don't know if y'all remember when I first started serving, I found those two birds and I brought them to the building I and I named them Torrance and Chapel and I would feed them every day. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm a big pet lover. Um, so I started a company years ago investing in real estate and managing them as rentals. Okay. And I really did it for myself. And then other people I knew said, well, go find me a rental house and I want you to manage it because they trusted me. So I grew that to be a significantly sized company in my industry. It was not multifamily. It was single family assets. Mm-hmm. Um, and from that experience, of course, you have to be pet friendly these days because pets are the fastest growing demographic in our country. We mm-hmm. love pets here in the U.S. And I saw an opportunity to just manage pets better for landlords. Okay. So I had this idea to start a digital platform. I call it Pet Tech Property Tech, which okay. is a new category. And we help landlords across the country better manage their pet population. And then there's a lot of, I call them bad actors. There are people that are trying to pass their pets off as fake service animals and fake mm-hmm. emotional support animals. Right. And there are people that need these animals for sure, and they're not the problem. But in housing, if you have an animal, you're not subject to pay any pet fees. So people will try to get around paying fees by calling it an animal. And until my company pet screening, um, everyone just kind of let them in. So now we at least show everyone, okay, here's the rules. Here are the guidelines. And we apply the rules. And if you meet the guidelines, great. You can come on in with an assistance animal. Otherwise, it's a pet. So you have a pretty full house at home. You're talking about pets. You have four kids. Four, four children, yes. And how many pets do you have? Uh, we have two dogs and one cat. We have a cat named Bob. <laughs> <laughs> my, my twin girls picked the name. It was a cat that I'd taken in. She was pregnant. No one would take her. And she had babies on our desk in the office, which was you know not planned, but she did. And I got a cat out of that. <laughs> So tell us about your family a little bit. Sure. So my wife and I, we actually went to high school together. I mean, I met her my senior year. We had a big high school, by the way. So, uh, But nonetheless, we met my senior year. She was a junior. Um, I went to Clemson University. I'm from mm-hmm. South Carolina. I grew, out, I grew up in uh, Somerville, South Carolina, which is a suburb just outside of Charleston. And my wife was from Goose Creek. And I had already been accepted to Clemson University. They had an early junior acceptance program back in the day. And I was a senior and she was a junior, so she had already been accepted to Clemson because, you know, I didn't want a girl following me to college, right? Mm -hmm. So when I met her, I'm like, where are you going to college? And she said, I'm going to Clemson. And I'm like, well, so am I. So uh, we dated and we did the fraternity thing, sorority thing. We got married and uh, we have four children. We have a boy. Uh, He's actually a freshman at NC State. Mm -hmm. He's, He's really loving it. And he chose that over Clemson, (laughs) Uh, which, you know, he made a very adult decision, I believe, what's best for him. And then we have a a daughter who's 16 years old. She's a junior in high school. 
And then one of my fraternity brothers got married and we had the boy and the girl two years apart, right? And I come from a family of, of one sibling, there's two of us, that's, that's it. So I thought we were done. And, and my wife watched the, the daughter dance with the dad and she's like, oh, I want one more. And so then we had identical twins. Oh, wow. So that does happen. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's, it's uh, not hereditary. It's just one egg splits into two. And so we were blessed with two uh, young ladies, two more girls. And so they're 14. So everyone's two years apart and all children have March birthdays. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah, crazy, right? <laughs> wow, that is great. So I see your posts, follow you every day. And you post a lot about your work. You post a lot about your family. Here we are in November. By the time this podcast drops, we will have had a budget. The governor will have signed it. But this is our 11th month in session. How do you manage all of the stuff you're doing with family and your business? Your two businesses. Right. I, you know, I've always, I play hard. In other words, I'm here a lot and I run my businesses. But when I'm home, I'm home. So we have, we have a camper. And my girls ride, my twins ride horses during the equestrian field. So that requ- requires us to go to a lot of arenas yeah. in the Southeast. Mm-hmm. And so we take our camper, we spend the night in Walmart parking lots. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we try to be as grounded as we can be. Um, so when I'm home, I'm home. Like mm-hmm. my family, for them, it's not fair for me to be gone all week and then to come home. And now I don't want to do anything. That would be an injustice to them. So when I'm home, I still run hard because in their world, that's the few days they get of me, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so, and I'm okay with that. Cause I'm a pretty high energy guy anyway. I don't, I'm not, I don't think I was born to sit around and do nothing, mm-hmm. frankly. So I'll always work. I enjoy working. Um, you know, technology, I mean, I own a tech company, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think if you were to pull my colleagues here, they would say, I typically have a phone to my face and yeah. I'm not Instagramming or TikToking. I'm typically checking several email accounts to keep things moving. And that just works for me. And of course, it's not possible without a good support network. And I have amazing employees that run my companies. Um, I I don't consider myself ultra talented. I will say I do have some ability to pick really good people to work Mm -hmm. with me. And and for that, I'm forever grateful because if you have a great team, then it makes it easy. So you served on the town council. How did you originally get into politics? Yeah. So I was uh, involved in my local chamber of commerce as a Mm -hmm. business owner and so one day I got a telephone call and it was from two commissioners and they said, we'd like to take you out for coffee. And I'm not really a coffee drinker, but I, I get that. I said, yeah, let's go. So we went and I really wasn't sure why they wanted to meet, but you know, I put quickly put it together and they said, we think you ought to run for town board. And by lunch that day, I'd gone down to the County and filed because I always, I don't know. I always thought I maybe would do something like this, but maybe it just took someone to sit me down and say, Hey, you ought to do it. And I'm like, yeah, I think I can make a difference. And so that's how I got into it. It was really that. That's exactly what happened. Making the move from the council to the general assembly. Talk about that. Yeah. So, um, so speaker Tillis at the time was also my representative and he too had been on the same town board that I was on. And, um, and Tom's a great personal friend and, mm-hmm. you know, I, I mean, I get called a little Tom a lot and, and that's a compliment. <laughs> I, I, I take it as at least, but I wasn't trying to emulate what Tom was doing by any means, but Tom is a business guy. He was an IBMer. I was an IBMer for 10 years. Okay. We had a lot in common, but when he decided to run for the United States Senate, it obviously created a seat. Now I had to go win the primary. And in fact, I ran against our then mayor. She was appointed to be mayor. And I, I you know, I know she wanted that seat and it was just, well, we're both going to run for it. And it was a three-way primary and um, I fared okay. And 
and then, um, you know, I've continued to win, but you know, two years ago I lost. Right. So I've, I've had a close election. I, you know, know, these are not our seats, right? The seats belong to the people. And when I first ran for town commissioner, I I ran by, I won by two votes too. Wow. And I voted for myself and I I get asked that a lot. Do you vote for yourself? And I'm like, well, if you can't vote for yourself, then how could you ever ask anyone to vote for you? So yes, I voted for myself. My wife has not admitted if she voted for me, (laughs) Uh, but I, you know, that two votes, I often think that had I not won by two and maybe lost by two, I don't know if I would have run again. I would have said, you know, I tried, I'm glad I won. Um, and then a couple of years later, fast forward in 2018, you know, there was just a sort of a, an interesting change. A lot of Republicans in urban areas went home that year. And I tell my kids it was a great learning lesson for, you know, not only for me personally, because I think everyone was focused on not all that John Bradford had done, but how was John Bradford re- reacting to a loss? Mm-hmm. And I didn't you know, burn anything down. I didn't vandalize anything. I just said we didn't get it right. We mm-hmm. fell short. No matter how it happened, we fell short. And so I just focused on what I've always focused on, which is family and business, grew my pet tech company and decided to try to run again and see if we could win, you know, the same seat that I'd held previously. And we did. So I'm back. Was it an immediate decision that when you lost, I'm coming back or did it take some time to get to that point? Because I know it was, it had to have been a painful loss, even though I I will say this, you lost with such grace. And by the way, when you won the seat back, you also won with grace. Yeah, I remember yeah. some of the posts you made about your opponent yes. who had defeated you yes. two years prior. And right. I just thought, wow, what a civilized man this guy is. Yeah. So, so gracious to your opponent. But was that an easy choice to come to? So, you know, when I lost, I remember it was one in the morning. It kind of came down to one precinct and, and, and we just fell short. And so I made the phone call, right? You have, in my opinion, you have to do this. You, you, mm-hmm. if you, if you don't do the phone call, mm-hmm. then you probably shouldn't be in this business. It's mm-hmm. just, you know, politics will break your heart. It'll break your wallet all at once. Mm-hmm. And so I made the phone call. Um, and you know, sure I was bummed, but in my heart, like not to sound like emotional, but in my heart, I knew I was not done. Like I just felt like that is not the way I want to be finished. Mm-hmm. Um, I could have worked harder. I kind of relied on my party probably more than I should have. Um, and I don't mind admitting those things because the next round, I didn't rely on anyone. I just said, I'm going to go get this done my way, the mm-hmm. way I would do it. And then when I won, the person that I'd beat prior, she did not call me, didn't congratulate me, never. I mean, I never heard from her, in really? fact. Well, that's okay, though. Yeah. It's, I, they could, everyone needs to run their shop the way they want to run it. That's not going to change who I am. But I do believe that this has worked out exactly the way it was supposed to. It was just a part of my journey. Tell us about a couple of things that you feel really passionate about that you've worked on this session. So, I mean, we, we come here, I'm not an attorney. I'm one of the few non-attorneys here. And, um, I, people often say, well, what is your expertise? I'm like, well, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a family guy. I'm from a big town. I'm from an urban area and I'm a Republican. And so, you know, in my home area, there's 17 of us here between the house and the Senate and 16 are Democrats. Mm -hmm. I'm the only Republican. Mm -hmm. So it often puts me on an Island where I feel a lot by myself, but that's okay. I'm, I'm up for the challenge. You know, I'm just here representing business owners from, and I'm a small business owner. I mean, granted, I have a company that's now national, but I started my companies at zero. I did not buy them. I did not inherit them. I started them with an idea and sweat equity and my own money. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, and, you know, and, and here I am living, I think, the American dream. So in Raleigh, I'm focused on business. So I'm senior finance chairman. So I'm in charge of our tax policy. And, 
And I, I do believe North Carolina is one of the, is the greatest state here in the U.S., and there's so much to offer, not only in geography, from beaches to mountains, but our, our fiscal policy and our uh, tax policy for businesses. And so that's important to me. I also do a lot of work for people who have intellectual developmental disabilities, and I have no one in my family that has you know, IDD. I don't have anyone in my family that has Down syndrome, for example. I do a lot with the Down syndrome community. And I get asked that all the time. People assume that I must have someone in my family with Down syndrome, and I don't. Um, it's just I think individuals with Down syndrome are angels. I do. I believe they're the most special people in the world. And I, if I can help them, mm-hmm. you know, that to me is extra because I have a voice. I have a, a pulpit here that I can try to be their voice and get help. And help means not... Um, you know, I, I say they have special abilities. Yes, they have disabilities, but they have abil- special abilities that we need to harness. And, and I don't, it's not charity, right? To me, it's not charity. To me, it's helping them make sure that they have an opportunity to lead productive roles in our society. And so I've hired four people within, uh, with Down syndrome to work in my office. And Your legislative office. Yes, right, in right. my legislative office. Right. I've had th- uh, three different interns, and then one of them repeated for me and came back as a legislative coordinator. And then that same young man, his name is Matthew Schwab, he was actually on my campaign staff. He loves politics. I mean, mm-hmm. he is really in tune with politics. He spent some time with Dan Forrest when he was lieutenant governor. And so, um, you know, and I bring that to my work and my place of business, my children. My son is a volunteer at Gigi's, which is a local playhouse for people with Down syndrome. And um, in my company at Pet Screening, we started a grant called PS for DS. PS being pet screening for DS being Down syndrome. And what we do is my company pays for grants to take find individuals with Down syndrome who would like an animal for companionship, and they must go adopt one out of a shelter. The idea is you save a life out of a shelter, and you save a life with someone who needs companionship. So that's very meaningful to me. In this budget, Sky, there was, we were expanding a lot of things for the disability community. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Innovation Waiver Program mm-hmm. is something that's awesome. There's a long line of people who need innovation waivers. And Explain what that is for folks. Yeah, it's, um, it's an opportunity to, uh, for, in, for families to go get additional funding to make sure that they have the resources at their fingertips. One thing with individuals who have intellectual and developmental disabilities, we're so focused on K through 12. We want to get them out of high school, and I understand that. Right. But life goes on after high school, yeah. and a lot of these individuals, they don't have any place to go. So what happens is they sit home, they gain weight, they watch a lot of TV, and, and, and that's all. And there's more. And so these innovation waivers help people look at developing life skills and independency in some cases. And depending on the spectrum where they may be, you know, some people can live independently and others may not. Maybe they need assistance. So the innovation waiver program is just a way to increase funding for families to, who have, uh, you know, f- qualifying members to get more money to make sure that they have the resources they need. Where did this come from where you took an interest in this community? I know your fraternity, I think it's Pi Kappa Pi. Pi Kappa Phi, yes. I know when I was at UNCG, they were very active with this community. They are. Is that where it started with you? you know, or, or? Yeah, great question. It actually started with my, uh, my parents. My mother, my mom's not a school teacher, but she was a teacher's aide. Um, my mom and dad didn't go to college, although my dad did go back and get a four-year degree because it was important to him. And we actually graduated from college at the same exact time, even did though it was different really? schools, which was amazing. Yeah. Um, he used the Air Force program to get his four-year degree from Southern Illinois University, the Salukis. Mm-hmm. And so my mother worked in the school system her entire career. 
And I always, it, I always noticed that my mother's very closest friends were the custodians, the cafeteria workers, the bus drivers. And, and yes, yeah, she was friends with everyone. So the teachers adored her and the, and the administration loved her. But she loved the people that often got overlooked. And so my mom, they called her Miss Anne. My mother's name's Anne. So they called her Miss Anne. The kids called her Miss Anne. And I remember her walking down the hallways because this was my school. So it was hard to be a bad kid, right? I couldn't be a bad kid <laughs> because Miss Anne would not allow that. Um, and the children who were in wheelchairs, who, I mean, some of them who were salivating, just my mother would never treat them differently. She would just come right up to them. She'd wipe their mouths. She'd say how they're doing. And she never... Like she, her demeanor never changed despite who she was talking to. And it was just an observation. And then fast forward in my life, when I joined Pi Kappa Phi fraternity, we had back then it was called PUSH, people understanding the severely handicapped. And that, of course, you know, handicapped is not really a politically correct word anymore. So now that has changed to the ability experience. I didn't know it was all adding up, frankly. Mm-hmm. Now when I reflect and look back, I go, holy mackerel, I was destined to do this. And my sister, by the way, she's a special education teacher in Washington, D.C., and she teaches adult children with IDD, mm-hmm. how we both, and she has a master's in special ed. We never planned this. Mm. Just serendipitous. Here she's doing this with this community. I'm working hard with the IDD community. And I don't know, it makes me, it just makes me feel like this is why I'm supposed to do this. Have you seen the light bulb come on with maybe your colleagues at the General Assembly? For sure. And I'm not talking about partisanship or anything like this, but it is noticeable when you bring this community into the General Assembly and they are working, right? right. You you put them to work. I put them to work. We try to lead by example and it has moved the needle um, for sure. The number of people in that building from staff to members in the elevator that'll say, oh, I have, um, like Representative Penny has had an older brother with Down syndrome. He's now deceased, but... I didn't know that. And, mm-hmm. and we have done more for the IDD community. You know, th- I feel like this session in terms of funding than we've ever done. And I don't think that's by chance. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was gone for two years and I'm not criticizing anyone, nothing happened mm-hmm. with IDD. It just didn't. And so what it reminds me is you have to have a champion here and I will be a champion for that community as long as I'm doing this job. At some point though, there has to be another flock of people that are willing to take this ball. And that's not to say that others aren't interested in it, but it takes work. Like Anita, you mentioned Anita. Yeah. I mean, Anita's daughter works for my company. Our families are incredibly close. And before I ever started this program, I had to get Anita's buy-in about this idea that we were going to have someone with Down syndrome working in our office because I can't take them to caucus. So I needed her buy-in. And I've had it unconditionally. She's now on the board of directors for GG's. She's very involved. And I think even in her personal life and with her children, this has kind of spilled over into that. And so it has made an impact. It really has. And I don't, this isn't about taking credit for it. It's just wonderful to see the things we are doing. And I feel like we're just getting started. Let's talk a little bit of politics here. In my 20 years in this business, I have seen Charlotte and Mecklenburg County go from a uh, stronghold for Republicans and it has shifted. And you mentioned that you're the only Republican yes. in the delegation. How are you winning in this community? What is your political philosophy? Um, how does it fit into that delegation? Well, the delegation seems to be moving farther to the left, frankly. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think everyone is well-intended. I, I'm very, you, you cannot replay the tape of any chamber discussion and you won't hear any zingers from me. I just, that's not the politics I play. Uh, At the same time though, I don't mind saying I agree to disagree. And so 
the, I mean, just last night, if you look at the budget vote, if you look at the number of Democrats that voted against it, they're mostly from Wake and Mac. Mm. And so all that said, business is typically not a partisan issue. It's just do what's right for business owners. And so I really try to stay away from Republican or Democrat, but I don't, I don't mind telling people who I am and what I stand for. I stand at the polls and people walk by and they say, are you a Democrat or Republican? I mean, I can't tell you the number of times I get asked that question. That's right. And I respond, I'm a reasonable Republican mm-hmm. because I am. I'm reasonable. Mm-hmm. I think we need reasonable people. I want reasonable employees. I want reasonable everything. I'm a reasonable Republican. Mm-hmm. And that's, they sort of give me like a, 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 an interesting look. And I say, well, my point is I'm accessible. I'm standing here. And if we don't agree, I will politely tell you we don't agree. But I bet you there are things we agree on that we can focus. So I try to focus on things where we can agree, to answer your question, mm-hmm. with, my, with my delegation. And there's a lot of things where we don't agree, but I don't criticize them for it. I just often remind myself that this is why I'm here. Is someone has to toe the line and try to be a, a, a voice of reason, and I try to be that every day. You consider yourself conservative? Yeah, for sure. I talk about things like I support our police. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be Democrat or Republican to support the police. Right. I mean, if you believe we need police, then you support them. Right. I support our military. I support lower taxes because I think people can make better decisions with their money than the government could ever make. Mm-hmm. Same thing with a business owner. I believe businesses need to be unencumbered to run their business. And so I don't want a lot of additional bureaucratic regulations. I want them to be able to run their business. Mm-hmm. This doesn't mean we're not, don't care about safety. We need regulations for safety and environment. I get all that. Um, I don't believe in big government. I think government needs to govern, but Government doesn't need to have their fingers and toes and everything. It's how it gets big. I believe in school choice. I support public schools as well, by mm-hmm. the way. But I think you can have both. I think they can coexist. Um, you know, so when you start asking people these questions, they all agree. And I go, wow, you're starting to sound a lot like me. I notice in committee, whether you're chairing a committee or you're presenting a bill, you do an excellent job of explaining complicated bills. You run a lot of commerce bills, business bills, but you also ran a bill recently about, I think it's called pandas. Yeah. Pans and pandas. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and did such a great job. Like I, I, totally was following you and I was tracking, I was visualizing what the experience that affected your family. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about that? Pediatric acute onset neuropsychiatric syndrome is what PANS is. And all that fancy words basically means that if uh, children, young adults, by the way, this can impact college children as well. Mm-hmm. So um, college children and younger basically can have a bacterial infection in their body that you don't even know they have. Mm. And so your immune system is really struggling. And so you don't even know. And then since my daughter, she had Lyme disease and my wife doesn't have Lyme. So she was bit by a tick Mm. and we do a lot of camping. So that's very plausible. And that's exactly, you only get Lyme one or two ways bit by tick or you get it from your mom. Well, my wife is negative. So my daughter got bit by tick, but we didn't know she had Lyme. We had no reason to believe she had Lyme. Mm. So Lyme of course has its own plays its own havoc on your immune system. Number one. So we didn't know that. And then my daughter's school had a mold issue. And to most people with a very normal immune system, it would have been very uneventful. Well, my, unbeknownst to us, my daughter's immune system was already on high alert. And she had this mold toxicity. And those things together really started to make her do very erratic things that were just not normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I say not normal, and I'm not being funny, I'm not being crass, like she was doing very crazy things, mm-hmm. um, very crazy things. She tried jumping out of a moving car mm-hmm. and 
she didn't jump out of a moving car because she was trying to commit suicide. Her body said, get out of this car and go. And so she was opening the door and running, which is, again, a, a reaction that we couldn't comprehend. We didn't know what we were going through. Um, pans and, uh, the difference between pans and pandas is pandas is, is from strep B. You can, if you go to Walgreens and get the little strep test, it's for strep A. A lot of times they don't test for strep B. So you get the strep A negative and you think you're fine. Well, you may have strep B. So strep B sort of harbors itself. And then all of a sudden a bacterial infection cre- starts and then it starts to impact your, your brain, the part of the brain that makes you do crazy things. Mm. There's a Netflix documentary. I think it's called my child is not crazy. I think that's the documentary and it follows four families who have individ- young children who are young adults who have pans or pandas and their journey. And thank God we did not know about that show until after we knew it. Our daughter had yeah. simple antibiotic, a $5 round of antibiotic, a couple of rounds, but $5 nonetheless can fix this issue. Wow. It is, but you got to know, you got to know to look for it. You got to know the symptoms. And there are estimated 20,000 children in North Carolina alone that have pans and pandas and families don't even know what it is. Doctors in a lot of cases don't know what it is, wow. but it's real. And the moment my daughter went on antibiotic, she became the child we knew, not the one that she'd become. And so um, in this budget, we have funding to create a continuing education program for physicians who specialize in neuroimmune type things to get CE so they can continue and get those credits and learn about PANS and PANDAS because early uh, diagnosis is everything. If they can see symptoms and say, well, let's do some blood work and get you some antibiotic it changes the trajectory because these things are very expensive. I have a family in my district that spends 10,000 a month for treatment of this and they go to a different state to get it because it's so, this thing has advanced so much. So early detection is key. In our politics, we are divided. And if you had a magic wand and you could fix one thing today, it's done in our politics, what would it be? I wish we could drop the cancel culture. Hmm. I mean, the idea, the notion that if we disagree, then we're going to cancel you. We're humans. We make mistakes. Where is, how can you say you're, how can you say you stand for tolerance, but you're intolerant of someone if you, if they don't agree with you. Mm -hmm. And so the hypocrisy that goes along with it is just, it really blows my mind. And so I, I often chuckle kind of internal in my mind when I see groups of people profess how they are, you know, love and all these things that matter, but they act anything but that if someone doesn't agree with them. Mm -hmm. And to me, we can really do a better job as a society if we just say, hey, let's just fundamentally get this on the table. We can agree to disagree Mm -hmm. and we can do it very politely. And if we're not going to convince each other, you know, of each other's positions, then let's put that on the parking lot map. And let's go find the things where we do agree and work on those. Mm -hmm. I understand we're going to have people that butt heads, but this cancel culture and when it turns on the very people, because we've seen of late where the cancel culture actually turns and on the group that has created it. And that's been a very interesting thing to me. But I think the cancel culture is a real shame because it's unnecessary. I think if we just go back to this idea that we make mistakes and we can disagree politely, then I don't think that's necessary. And I, I often remind myself of this, by the way, because sometimes I go, what, where, I'm not following something that's happening in this building. Mm-hmm. And then I go, well, hang on. Maybe in their life and their journey, this is extremely important to them, and they just have a life experience so different than me that I just can't see it. Right. Walk in person, other sh- person's shoes. So I think if we all just stopped and did that, mm-hmm. then it would be helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, and that applies to both sides. It mm-hmm. really, really does. And, um, you know, but I don't know. I mean, I'm, but I'm still going to fight for what I believe in, but sure. I'm going to do it with a smile. I'll do it yeah. politely. And I'm not going to criticize those who, who, against, who against me. I mean, I, I've, I've had some real zingers thrown at me, yeah. but I just don't want to be that way. I've seen that. I've seen you in committee and, or on the floor and you'll get something, but you always respond with such positivity mm-hmm. and it's, yeah. it is welcome. You all, it's almost as if you welcome the debate. I do. I think it's part of the process. Yeah. It's part of the process. If we, if we're not homogenous, and if we had a bunch of yes people, I mean, that would be very boring, right? And so, you know, we're up here and we all do our things. But there's a lot of jockeying, a lot of positioning going on. But, uh, yeah. I mean, but at the end of the day, I think this budget's a great, to kind of bring it back to the budget, I think this budget's a great example of, of we really got something right this time. I mean, with all the Democrat support and the Republican support and the governor signing it and all the good things that are in it, you know, and the people that are voting against the budget, again, I don't understand it, but from their view of the world, they have the right to hit that red or green button no different than I do. And that's why they're here. They can go explain to their constituents why they did what they did, and I'll do the same for me. It's one of the best budgets I've seen in 20 years. Yeah. Great, great budget. <laughs> it's yeah, a great, great budget. budget. I mean, a, lot, a lot of money there to make it a great budget, oh, yeah. but we'll take it. Yeah. Well, Representative John Bradford, we appreciate everything you do for your district. We appreciate everything you do for the state. You certainly know how to do politics better. Thank you for being on the podcast. Well, Brian Scott, thank you for having me. Happy Thanksgiving to you guys. And by the time this plays, Thanksgiving will be, I know, behind us. But I uh, hope everybody to take care of yourself and take care of each other. Thank you, sir. You bet. Yeah. The Do Politics Better podcast is sponsored by the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association. Beer and wine distributors in North Carolina are family-owned companies that directly employ more than 5,600 men and women across the state. The North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association works with the General Assembly to develop alcohol policies that ensure fairness in a competitive marketplace and promote responsible behavior. Visit the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association at ncbeerwine.com for more information. Can I tell you a story about my first meeting with Representative John Bradford? Feels like whether I say yes or no, you're going to tell it anyway. (laughs) Well, actually, I had met him before, but this was, I think, 2016, and we were doing a lobby day for the North Carolina Travel Industry Association, which is a sponsor of this podcast and a, a wonderful client here at New Frame. And we had invited Representative John Bradford to come and speak to some of our tourism industry folks who were visiting the General Assembly that day for Tourism Day. And Sally Ashworth, a great, great person down in uh, Lake Norman, who is on the board of NCTIA, she had made this connection to us. And this was really our first event with NCTIA. So we wanted to make sure that our lobby day went great and we were kind of nervous. And Representative Bradford was late. We couldn't find him. And so we're just scurrying around trying to find Representative Bradford. And we finally find him. He's like, his legislative assistant helps us, Anita Spence, who's great. And he told us the reason he was running late is because of those birds that he talked about in the interview. He had found these birds who had fallen out of a nest. He had been trying to nurse them back to health. And it was just this wonderful moment of Representative Bradford, who was so apologetic. He was like, I'm so sorry for being late. And he told this story about these birds. And our clients just loved it. And such a great guy, such a nice guy, and really an effective legislator. 
He gets things done. He really is a voice for the small business community, the business community in general, and just one of the great guys serving down there at the General Assembly. Tweet of the week. Tweet of the week. This week's tweet of the week is for you, listener, who said they (laughs) wanted more Dylan Real on the podcast. Um, The tweet of the week is from Dylan Real. And it says, very excited to announce that I will be joining the McGuire Woods consulting team in Raleigh as a VP in government affairs. My time in the NC House will forever hold a special place in my heart, as will the members. Special thanks to John Torbett for the kind words on the House floor. Dylan Real, general counsel to House Rules Chairman Destin Hall. Dylan Real has been on the podcast as a co-host, one of our most popular episodes. But he announced this week that he is leaving the General Assembly as a staffer and becoming a lobbyist at McGuire Woods. We are so happy for Dylan and his wife and their soon-to-be daughter. daughter. And so this is great news, and we just really appreciate Dylan, all the work that he has done, not only for the state, but for us as well. This guy has been with us through the firefighter legislation that just got enacted for years years and worked so hard. And what a good pickup for the team over at McGuire Woods. Are you going to the beach today? We are. We're going to the beach as soon as I finish editing the podcast. By the way, we're recording this on Thursday morning. Carolina Beach is doing some Christmas stuff down at the beach, and it's supposed to be 70 degrees. It's going to be 70 here today. I know. You don't need to go to the beach for that. But you know what you do have to go to the beach for? The water and the waves, and I'm going to try to surf this That's weekend. at the beach? Yeah, it's at the beach every day. <laughs> Every day they have water, they have tides, the tides come in, the tides go out. (laughs) And so that doesn't happen here in Raleigh. So we're going down for the weekend. I'm looking forward to it. What are you doing this weekend? I am going to the NC State Louisville game, the Big Ten ACC Challenge with my friend that I went to Illinois with. That sounds like a fun weekend. That is our show for the week. We hope that you have a restful weekend, do a little Christmas shopping, whatever you may do. Have a good weekend. It's going to be nice outside, so enjoy the weather in December. And if you're celebrating Hanukkah this week, happy Happy Hanukkah. Hanukkah. Yes. Definitely. I am going to dinner tonight with um, my friend from law school and her family, and they are celebrating Hanukkah. Whatever you are doing during this Christmas season, please remember to do politics better. And this office has got more decorations <laughs> Get in the Christmas spirit. But it doesn't really fit my vibe at home, you know? Okay. <laughs> so basically, the office is a place for you to bring <laughs> discarded holiday decorations. <laughs>